You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's with Mountain Dew? Mountain Dew is like a zipline of incredible flavor directly into your brain. Mountain Dew is like getting punched in the mouth with pure neon refreshment that creates a neural explosion sending flavor shards of electric brain pulses into your very core of being. Okay, maybe that's a little over the top, but you get the idea. The fact is, the mind-bending challenge of describing the taste of Mountain Dew is way harder than just experiencing it. That, of course, is easy. Just grab a nice cold dew, crack it open, and toss them back. Mountain Dew. Do the dew. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. I'm your host, Michelle Rutter, and I'm the Government Relations Manager for NCIA. I'm joined by NCIA's Director of Government Relations, Michael Correa. Hi, Mike. Hey, Michelle. In case you don't know Mike and me, we're the Washington, D.C. office for NCIA. We lobby Congress, work as liaisons between the industry and the federal government, and basically represent the cannabis industry at the federal level. If you're not familiar with NCIA and the work that we do, please visit www.thecannabisindustry.org for more information and details on how to join. Thanks, Michelle. Despite the fact that it's winter in D.C. and freezing outside, the Senate is heating up with confirmation hearings of Trump appointees coming up. Um, and lucky for us, we're joined by a very special guest who's an expert on public policy and cannabis, John Hudak. John is Deputy Director of the Center for Effective Public Management and a Senior Fellow in Govern Governance Studies at Brookings Institute and is the author of the book, Marijuana, A Short History. Hi, John. Thanks for joining us today. Michael, thanks for having me. 
I do want to dive into your book and some of the incredibly interesting points you make in it. However, uh, I did want to congratulate you. I saw last week that you joined Andrew Friedman and Louis Kosky at the new firm Friedman and Kosky LLC, where you're going to serve as co-founder and advisor, helping state and local governments implement the marijuana reforms they have approved. Do you want to tell our listeners a little more about the firm? Absolutely. We uh, formed the firm last week, and we are very excited about the prospect of helping states who uh, you both well know, and I assume a lot of your listeners know, really need all the help that they can get. And so Andrew and Lewis and I have decided to take the experience and the knowledge that we have accumulated over the past several years and try to uh, do a little bit better than states have done so far to bring to light some of what uh, we know states will encounter along the way, the types of potholes or roadblocks, both political and policy oriented, to try to get states on their feet. Again, in those states that have chosen and are looking uh, down the barrel of a very scary um, path toward uh, implementation and hopefully success. That sounds great, John, and congratulations again. Uh, I just noticed that today, Brookings Institute released a piece uh, on the Trump nominees and specifically about the attorney general position and Senator Jeff Sessions. So I wanted to ask you a few questions about that. So what could Jeff Sessions do as attorney general? What do you predict he will do on cannabis policy? And should the industry be concerned? Well, it's important to remember that the Attorney General of the United States is one of the most powerful individuals in this country. The Attorney General has oversight and control over criminal prosecutions, civil investigations, over the Solicitor General, the United States Attorneys, over drug policy, and a host of other areas. And as Attorney General, Jeff Sessions will be able to exercise those powers and and much more. I think for a lot of Americans who are concerned about a variety of things like voting rights, like LGBT protections, age and race protections, as well as marijuana policy, Jeff Sessions' nomination will be a meaningful one. For some people, that will be terrifying. For others, it might be a welcome change. But I think Jeff Sessions, particularly for the community of listeners who you'll have for this show, is someone who should worry every marijuana advocate, every industry actor, every patient, and every consumer in a state that has chosen to reform their laws. Jeff Sessions is someone who has said openly that, you know, good people don't use marijuana. He is as avowed a opponent of marijuana reform as you can find in the U.S. Senate, And barring some odd scandal, he's very soon going to be the 84th Attorney General of the United States. Yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, the concern of a lot of our members is what he can do. And that worries me as a lobbyist for the industry. Um, And just, you know, if you want to go over some of the thoughts, you know, some of the things he could do as Attorney General. One of the things that I think is important to remember about both the attorney general and the position of the marijuana industry, both medical and recreational right now, is that taking down and dismantling a set of institutions, a set of companies, 
and a patient and consumer base that you have in, in marijuana right now would be a tremendous undertaking. While the attorney general's powers are substantial and significant, his budget is not. And his ability as attorney general for Jeff Sessions to completely dismantle the industry is very difficult to imagine. But that, me that doesn't necessarily mean that he can't disrupt the industry, that he can't cause headaches for the industry. And that might be his best, best path to success, uh, to be honest. Filing lawsuits against states, for instance, uh, trying to get injunctions against the states that just legalized to try to prevent them, directing DEA and FBI to go into states to try to crack down on legal operations. Uh, these are all things that might not be ultimately successful in shutting down the industry, but it can scare away capital. It can scare business people away from uh, joining ventures. And it's something that, it, by all accounts, Jeff Sessions would have an interest in doing. Yeah, one of my big worries and concerns is they just give more discretion to local attorneys and prosecutors and they don't actually change policy at dc and say they're going after marijuana but it's it's sort of uh behind the scenes little regulatory things that they can do to slow up the progress that we've been uh making uh what are your thoughts on that slowing process is definitely one way in which the attorney general can wreak havoc on the industry. And, and I think your point is a good one that what happens in the individual offices of the United States attorneys, the federal prosecutors, can have huge effects as well. There are, there's one important takeaway though, and that is the Justice Department, like any other part of the federal, is a complex web and bureaucracy. And while Jeff Sessions will sit atop the Department of Justice, um, he still has a boss in the president of the United States. And if we are to take uh, Trump at his word as president, uh, he is interested in taking a hands-off approach to medical marijuana, suggesting that there might be some value there. And he has had some rhetoric that has suggested that uh, even recreational marijuana is a state's rights issue. Uh, one would hope that a, a Southern social conservative would want to take a, a state's rights approach uh, as well in the attorney general. But of course, uh, Jeff, Ses Jeff Sessions is only pro-state's rights when it suits him, uh, like many of his conservative <laughs> Southern colleagues. But the president can stop Sessions in his tracks from trying to do this. And there are a few reasons we might think this is true. First, Rick, which I had just mentioned, Two, Trump hates to lose. And if he tries to shut down the industry and fails, that's going to be a black mark that the Trump administration is not going to want to see. And three, Trump clearly considers other things under the purview of the Department of Justice to be a bigger threat, particularly enforcing against immigration, against people who are violating the law in ways that hurt American workers. And these might be the areas that Trump directs the attorney general to focus more of his energy than cracking down on pot dispensaries in Denver or on cancer patients in California. I totally agree. Uh, last year, you wrote a paper on rescheduling of marijuana, and that is a big issue in our community. 
paper. Would love to hear your thoughts. You know, people were talking about Schedule 2 last year. Uh, thoughts on Schedule 2? You know, we have our concerns in the industry of what uh, we think could happen. But just your thoughts on what you think it would take to do a rescheduling if you think something would happen in any short timeline. Rescheduling of marijuana, at least through the administrative process, can be considered dead under the Trump administration. Uh, marijuana will remain Schedule 1. The ultimate decision over rescheduling rests with the Attorney General, and I cannot imagine a scenario in which Jeff Sessions hides uh, openly that marijuana is a less dangerous drug the day that he takes office. And so in that sense, I, I think this is pretty much toast. The only chance at recent would probably be legislative, and I think that's probably unlikely as well, given uh, the Speaker's position on this and, and Majority Leader McConnell's position on this. But uh, it's not to say that it is impossible. That said, I think some of the fears that exist in industry about what Schedule 2 would mean are largely overblown. Uh, Schedule 2 status of marijuana would just make it easier for medical researchers to conduct research using the substance. It's not going to empower the Justice Department or the FDA or other organizations to step in and suddenly shut down the system. If the FDA or particularly DEA and FBI wanted to shut down the system, they could start doing so right now under Schedule 1 status. Um, there is no difference in the, in the eyes of federal law between a dispensary in Colorado that sells a Schedule 1 substance and a dispensary in Colorado that sells a Schedule 2 substance. So I think the fears in the that Schedule 2 is this death blow um, is really coming from, honestly, a space uh, that lacks information, from people who are confused about the meaning of the federal schedules and the impact of the Controlled Substances Act on our public policy. Thanks for that insight, John. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back with our guest, John Hudak. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. The National Cannabis Industry Association presents the Seed to Sale Show, January 31st and February 1st at the Colorado Convention Center in Denver. Register now at www.seedtosaleshow.com or 888-409-4418. The NCIA Seed to Sale Show, the largest cannabis business event to be held in Denver, will host over 2,000 cannabis professionals and focus on innovations and technology in cultivation, infused products and extraction, and sales strategies. The show will recognize the best in the industry with the Cannovation and Canatech Awards. Register before January 6th for $100 savings at seedtosaleshow.com. Use the code RADIO15 for an additional 15% off. Plan your experience now for the NCIA Seed to Sale Show, January 31st and February 1st. SeedToSaleShow.com or 888-409-4418. Mindful of sustainable practices and limiting their environmental footprint, Sansal hemp is always grown outdoors, as nature intended. By starting with uniform genetic profiles, Sansal ensures the plant will maintain its optimal performance and yield consistently throughout its life cycle. 
It is through innovative processes that Sansal is able to achieve pure whole hemp extracts and meet industry requirements and the level of quality desired by many of their customers. Healthy plants, healthy people. SansalCBD.com. Improve your lifestyle naturally. Cannabis legalization efforts are increasing competition for businesses wanting to make it big. In this complex and fast-changing environment, only the savviest will survive. What are you going to do to stay ahead of the game? Enter New Frontier's free platform, Equio, the premier business intelligence, visualization, and marketing platform for the cannabis industry. With Equio, you can stay on top of your store's sales, trends, and competition, better understand your seasonality and broader sales trends, identify and compare your top products and categories, and cross-buying opportunities. Go to www.equio.io to sign up for your free membership today. That's E-Q-U-I-O.io to sign up now. The power of real-time big data is now in your hands. Run with New Frontier and let us help you conquer the wild. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back from the break, so thanks for tuning in to NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. If you're just tuning in, I'm Michelle Rutter, and we're here with John Hudak, Senior Fellow at the Brookings Institute. So, John, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about your book uh, that came out this or this past year, now that we're in the new year, Marijuana, A Short History. So first off, what inspired you to write this book? And when you were doing research, was there anything that you found surprising or something that you found that you didn't already know? I've been wanting to write a book on marijuana for a bit of time. And I, I thought this overview, almost a, a four dummies book, would be ideal. When I started doing research in this space, it just seemed like a topic that I would never be able to wrap my head around because the information was so plentiful, but it was also very scattered. And while there's really great books out there and and really good uh, papers out there to help you get caught up, uh, it is uh, not as uh, complete as I think an, an amateur approaching this issue would like. And that interest, that that sort of academic desire, coincided with uh, the Brookings Institution's uh, press planning a series of books called the Short Histories, and they wanted some of those short history, you know, the traditional dry Brookings topics, but they also wanted a few sexy topics. And one of the sexy topics they decided might be interesting was marijuana. And so they approached me um, with this idea. And they said, listen, this is going to be a standard peer-reviewed book. There's no guarantees, but we'd like you to consider writing this. And like I said, the stars sort of aligned. And I said that I was absolutely interested. They had a, a word count limit on it because they wanted it truly to be a short history. The worst thing that you can do is tell an academic write for as long as you want to write, and then you always get an unfinished tome. But they also, um, or rather in the conversation, I said I have one requirement as part of this. And this was, oh, probably 
back in October of 2015. I said I have, and that is this book came out before the election. And they looked at me a little odd and, and concerned because that was a fast pace. And they said, why? I said, well, a lot of states are going to vote on marijuana initiatives in November of 2016. And my guess is a lot of them are going to pass. And so if this book can come out in advance of that, it's something that's just going to market itself. And we stuck to a very, very quick schedule, but uh, Brookings was able to get the book out um, by the beginning to middle of October. And it coincided perfectly with which with what was probably the most successful election in the history of the marijuana movement. And I was able to write a book that I'm, I'm proud of. I, I think, you know, uh, future books are probably going to put it to shame like you always want to happen. But I think it's a really accessible guide to navigating the policy landscape and the history of marijuana in the United States. And so did you find anything that surprised you in that research about all the history? Oh, God. I mean, it, it was such a fascinating journey uh, doing the research and trying to, uh, again, wrap my head around what is a really complex issue. And, and I think the, uh, a couple of things that stood out to me uh, first was just how long this nation has had a history with the cannabis plant. And the reality is that history dates back to before we even had a country. The, our founding fathers uh, were among the first hemp growers in America, and we have some evidence that some of the uh, founding uh, may have understood that if you grow the cannabis plant in a certain way, it can do more for you than just produce textiles and rope. And moving forward in history, I always knew that there was a racialization in the enforcement of marijuana laws. I mean, we all know the statistics about disparities between whites and non-whites in arrest rates for marijuana, but understanding the real racialized foundation of marijuana prohibition was eye-opening to me. I had always heard about it. I had read a little bit about it, but to see exactly how federal agencies worked uh, in cahoots with Congress to vilify this plant and to use that plant to vilify entire racial and ethnic groups was shocking to me and a story that I thought, um, while certainly several people have told it, was had to be part of the story that I was telling. I agree, definitely. And it was, it was a great section in your book. You shed a lot of really great light on it. So I'm sure everyone appreciates that. Uh, I wanted to ask you, like you mentioned, your book does touch on cannabis policy from the even just the turn of the century, the last hundred years or so up to the present day. And I wanted to ask your opinion on which president do you think has influenced drug policy, or we'll say in this case, cannabis policy, uh, for the most, for better or for worse? Um, I will say that I think it's, it's a tie. Um, I think Richard Nixon and Barack Obama have been the two most meaningful presidents when it comes to uh, marijuana and for very different reasons and from very different perspectives. Nixon was really the first president to use marijuana policy as a politically divisive tool. We have tapes of President Nixon talking about who he believed were the marijuana users in society and how he could construct political strategy around creating 
in-groups versus out-groups. He really felt that marijuana was evil and that the people using it were, were bad. They were anathema to society and that he could find political success in turning quote-unquote good Americans against those people. But beyond the political strategy, he also implemented policies, including the Controlled Substances Act that was passed under his watch and other enforcement priorities that really began a vicious crackdown on this drug that was decades in the making, but he really seized as much power as possible uh, to use this in a divisive way. And then you fast forward 40 years uh, to the presidency of Barack Obama, who, while I think uh, both of you may believe this, and and I'm sure there are many of your viewers who believe this, President Obama has left a lot to be desired within the marijuana reform community. He's also been the most progressive president on this issue in American history. What he has done to allow the industry to continue to operate, um, to even down to the rhetoric that he uses about marijuana vis-a-vis other drugs or in in and of itself, has really shown a change of heart. And it's important to remember, he is the first president to, uh, at least in the modern era, to openly admit to using marijuana, be ashamed of that, just to say, it's something I did in my youth, and he didn't inhale of the prospect of his daughters finding out in the way that Presidents Clinton and Bush did. He was just very open and casual about it. And I think that alone is a progressive step in a pro-reform direction. I totally agree with you. History is going to judge him as one of the greatest presidents when it comes to having the discussion and allowing this issue to really uh, move forward. But at the same time, he hasn't been perfect uh, as far as some of our supporters would and gone as far as some of our supporters think he should have. Uh, You were uh, talking about the founding fathers. uh, I just think, wouldn't it be great to know if our founding fathers were inspired by marijuana? I think that would be pretty, pretty uh, funny. Uh, You have a chapter in your book that talks about the importance of public opinion has had on uh, regarding this issue. Can you talk about that some? And how the policy in the future now that Gallup and Pew are finding support for marijuana to be at an all-time high? Public opinion around marijuana has been something that has seen its ups and downs. When you look back to when Gallup first started asking about this, support for the legalization of marijuana was insanely low, uh, either the high single digits or the low double digits. And that continued for quite some time until the Carter administration, as President Carter was openly national decriminalization effort, support for legalization began to tick up. And with Carter's um, having a, a scandal around drug policy within his administration and then ultimately losing the election, Reagan and Bush came in and really through the bully pulpit and the increase in the rhetoric around the drug war began to shift public opinion back. And when you look at the early 1990s, you have support for marijuana legalization similar to what it was in the early 60s. And over time in the 90s, that began to change. And it changed in part, I argue, because states started to legalize medical marijuana and people saw that the sky wasn't falling. 
It changed also because people who were marijuana users or people who had experimented with marijuana at some point during their lives began to occupy a larger part of the electorate. That is, the children of the 60s were coming of age. And that rhetoric from the government, so disgusting and, and so despicable at times, suggesting that marijuana would turn you into rapists and murderers, that it would make white women do the evil thing of, of considering uh, sleeping with a man of color. And, and all of this vile rhetoric, the people of the 60s, the, you know, people who grew up in the 60s said, you know, I smoked some weed and I never killed a schoolyard full of children or my wife or raped anyone. And so that experience was not matching with the rhetoric. And so opinion changes. And now we've seen a real uh, skyrocketing of opinion since the late 1990s, early 2000s, to where now we have 61 to 63 percent of Americans supporting full-scale adult-use recreational marijuana. One of the things that I think increase the number is just the utilization of the internet and how a younger generation gets their information. My generation and previous generations always had to law enforcement or government authorities or people in the community or church. And now a teen year old can get anything, any information they need on cannabis directly from the source. And I think just the broad acceptance of the internet and usage of that has allowed us directly to people, which is also I think, improved. But that's absolutely right. And, and what's more, you see people with status, with access to a real microphone, talking about marijuana as policy, as something that needs a more nuanced conversation. When you have state leaders and members of Congress and others saying, listen, it's not that marijuana is good for everyone. It's not that kids should be using marijuana, but adults should be able to access it in a regulated way. And so it's not just, you know, the, the 60s era um, idea that there are these, uh, you know, to borrow President Nixon's approach, these hippies who are just passing marijuana out um, and, and anyone should use it if they want to use it. But it's a more realistic and more responsible discussion of the product, which I think uh, has a meaningful impact for younger people, but it also has a meaningful impact for adults who are maybe on the fence about this issue as well. Well, we're going to take another short, quick break, but we'll be right back with our guest, John Hudak. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. <sighs> cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Himping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint 
The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Everyone deserves the medicine they need. Aaron's premium CBD essentials and CBD nectar products are made from plant-based organic ingredients, grown and processed in the United States. Our unique formula of coconut oil and coconut water, infused with CBD oil, is ideal for all skin types and provides maximum relief. Aaron's Essentials was formulated by 9-11 first responder and stage 4 cancer survivor Aaron Sieber. As a cannabis connoisseur, Aaron began making and using his own lab-tested medicinal cannabis products to help relieve the side effects of his rigorous cancer treatments. Visit www.cannosaurbrands.com for more information on Aaron's Essentials and learn how you can pay it forward. That's C-A-N-N-A-I-S-S-E-U-R brands.com. How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com So, John, as we close out here, I want to get back to your book a little bit. And the last section of it is titled The Future of Marijuana. So what do you think that is? We're going forward into this confirmation hearing. What do you see as the future of marijuana? I think in the short term, the future of marijuana is going to be a challenging one. I think any member of the industry or consumer or advocacy organization who thinks that the next four years will be anything like the last eight years is really fooling themselves. I think like a lot of progressive organizations in the United States right now, the best thing that they can hope for in the next four years is to maintain the status quo. Jeff Sessions is not going to reschedule marijuana. He's not going to deschedule marijuana. There's no uh, evidence that we're going to have a groundswell of support for major marijuana reform in the Congress, though there might be some support for for smaller scale changes. And so the best that marijuana advocates can hope for is what we have on January 19th, 2017, being somewhat similar to what you have on January 19th, uh, 2021. That said, states are going to continue to move in the direction toward reform. I mean, even in the couple of weeks, as, as we discuss this, you have States that uh, from the outside, I would have never thought serious conversations about marijuana reform, medical or recreational, uh, would have been happening in 2017. States like Georgia and Tennessee and others uh, are considering full-scale medical marijuana programs. Uh, That's surprising in a lot of ways. I, I never thought, you know, five years ago that you would see eight states in the District of Columbia, 20% of the American population living in states with legal recreational marijuana. But the public opinion that Michael was talking about before, combined with a real professionalization in the interest group and advocacy communities, is pushing America in the direction of reform. Uh, Even if Donald Trump doesn't like it, even if Jeff Sessions doesn't like it, 
even if Tom Price, the soon-to-be Health and Human Services Secretary, doesn't like it, the reality is hard to deny. And that reality is that eventually marijuana will be treated like we treat other drugs in this um, society. It is regulated, it is legal under certain circumstances, and people have choices to make over whether they want to use it or whether they don't. I appreciate that. Uh, I remember speaking with you once, uh, how many people, when you would release a report on marijuana, how many people would on it at Brookings? Um, I'm assuming Brookings is really with what you're working on and uh, what's going on. And is Brookings, are you going to be doing anything uh, coming up in the short term? Brookings is always thrilled to have good research put out there, no matter what the topic is. And this is an area of policy that is important, it's growing in importance, and it's one that traditionally we don't venture into. Uh, I think a lot of people are shocked when they see uh, reports and blog posts and, and other media coming out from Brookings because, frankly, we're an old gray institution. Uh, but I answer those and, and those queries oftentimes by saying, listen, Brookings does serious public policy. And marijuana is serious public policy now, and it only makes sense that we would be uh, doing work on this. The ideal thing about marijuana policy is that it brings different clicks to us. It brings a younger audience. It actually brings a more gender-balanced and racial and ethnically balanced audience to us in a way that, you know, work on the Federal Reserve um, interest rate policy just tends not to do. And, and so in that sense, uh, we're very happy with it. My colleagues and I who have worked on this and we're ready and willing to expand our research in this area. We have a video coming out um, in a couple of weeks about uh, CBD extracts and its legality under uh, federal law and DEA guidance. And we're gonna be moving a bit into doing work on the criminal justice aspects of marijuana policy as well. Uh, the nice thing about this area is there's a million questions to ask and not enough people, time or money to answer them all. Although interest rates uh, do excite me, marijuana excites me more. So, and I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate the fact that you've been there. You have been a leader on this issue in the public policy think tank community. And I just appreciate everything you've done to get the truth out there. Thank you very much, Michael. So thanks again for joining us, John. It's been great talking with you. It's always a pleasure. My pleasure, Michelle. So all of our listeners, make sure that you go out and buy Marijuana, A Short History by John Hudak. It's available in all major bookstores and Amazon, right, John? Yes, that's right. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and the Brookings Press website. So everyone, make sure you go out and get that. And for the rest of our listeners, we hope to see you at the Seed to Sale show happening in Denver on January 31st and February 1st. For more information about how to register for the conference, head to www.saleshow.com. And we also want you to mark your calendar for NCIA's 7th Annual Cannabis Industry Lobby Days happening on May 16th and 17th in Washington, D.C. Lobby Days allows NCIA members from across the country to descend on Capitol Hill to tell their stories and urge their representatives to fix the unfair tax and banking policies crippling our industry. Plus, you'll get to meet Mike and I. This year, Lobby Days will occur the same week as Marijuana Business Daily's spring event in National Harbor, Maryland. So when you register for Lobby Days, we'll give you a $100 coupon code off for their registration. In addition, if you register before April 30th, we'll enter you into a raffle to win two tickets to NCIA's fourth annual Cannabis Business Summit in Oakland, California. 
We look forward to seeing you there. And thanks again for tuning in. Thanks, everybody. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now enjoy a large iced coffee for just 2 bucks and a breakfast sandwich to make a meal. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Help Jews in Poverty at HelpJewsNow.org. Your $25 gift today will help provide a life-saving food box to Jews in need. Be a blessing right now. Visit helpjewsnow.org. That's helpjewsnow.org.